Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 through 11. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there in whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Lord, discipline is a hard thing to consider. It's certainly not one of the more popular things to hear, to preach on. To read books on, but we find it to be a consistent theme throughout your word, Lord, that you do discipline the ones you love because you desire to bring the ones you love into a place of holiness, into a place where we conform into your image and your likeness. So God, I pray that as we take this text here and we talk through it and preach through it and listen to it, that we would be moved, that we would be rattled maybe a little bit by it, Lord. And that it would bring us a fuller and better understanding of you. I don't presume to know everybody's experiences that they're going through, Lord, but I'm sure that with those who are here, there are some of us who have or are enduring your discipline right now even. And I pray for those that they would learn from it, that we would grow by it. And for those that aren't in that place of discipline right now, that they would grow in the grace and the knowledge of you so that when that time does come, that they would be able to receive that very message that you are seeking to deliver. Ultimately, we thank you for your salvation because apart from that, we have nothing. 
So Lord, train us by the gospel that we may walk out of here knowing you better and loving you more than we did when we came in. In your name, amen. Consider him. Last week we fortuitously, providentially went through the first few verses here of chapter 12 and we were reminded that this group of Hebrew believers was enduring a time of difficulty. They were enduring a time of discipline, in fact, because many of the people in this Jewish church in Rome were leaving the faith and going and falling back into Judaism because it was easier at that particular point in time to be a observant Jew in Rome than it was to be a practicing Christian in Rome. Persecution was difficult and it was pervasive and becoming more and more so. And so the writer to the Hebrews, in fact, this whole letter is a rebuke, isn't it? This whole letter is discipline. This whole letter is the writer or the preacher of this sermon, if you will, grabbing them by their collars and shaking them, saying, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How can you go down that road? Why would you go back to something that's inferior? And that's been the tone of the entire book, even up to this point, has been one of warning, 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 warning. Always with a view and an expectation in the writer's mind that they're going to listen to him. That they're going to receive what he says. So he says to them, last week we looked at that they should be willing to lay aside every weight. And the sin which so clings to us so closely... Run the race with endurance that's set before you. The enduring race is that of just a life in Christ. And in doing that, you need to lay aside these certain things, these weights, which aren't categorized as sins here, but certainly can and maybe perhaps oftentimes do hinder us in our walk with the Lord. And then leaving those sins aside, which certainly hinder our walk with the Lord. We run with race, and it is an endurance run. Now, how many of you feel, walk like that? That this is an endurance run? That you're, you understand going into this thing, the Christian life, this is going to be a slog. It's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. God never promised ever anywhere that it was going to be easy. In fact, so many times we're told that we are to, Jesus himself said, take his yoke upon us. And we are going to be burdened with a similar burden that Christ had. That those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Here he tells us it is a endurance run. And how we run this race is that we constantly need to be reminded to look unto Jesus. And he tells us why. He tells us the gospel, right? 
He reiterates the gospel here in the middle of this massive theological tome. He brings them back to the simplicity of the gospel. Because the gospel is what keeps us going. The gospel is what motivates the Christian. He says that Jesus, we look to him as the founder and perfecter of our faith. And we saw that he is the one who saved us from our sins. And he's the one who will save us ultimately in the end as well. And everything in between. And he saved us because we were the joy that was set before him. The glory of God in the salvation of the people that God had predestined to be saved. The joy that was set before him, Christ, endured the cross, despising the shame. The gospel, right there. He endured the penalty of the cross. And he hated the shame of it, right? We looked at last week how the curse in Deuteronomy that was given to anyone who was hung on a tree is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There in Galatians chapter 3. That Christ bore the curse for us. The curse, the penalty of sin. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he goes, he begins this next little section here. Consider him. Contemplate him. Think on him. There is a good biblical word that is used routinely in the Psalms, and it's the word meditate. The word meditate has taken on some um, Eastern, more weird hippy-dippy kind of connotations in our day and age where you kind of get alone by yourself and you kind of empty your mind and you get some kind of mantra that you say over and over to get you to empty your mind and put yourself in an altered state of consciousness and that's supposedly meditation. Well, not so biblically. Biblically, the way the word is used is it's to focus your mind on one subject. So here, the writer of the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, writing to Jewish Christians, and all of these people knew the Psalms well. They probably had all of them memorized. That wouldn't be a stretch to say. Would immediately think when they hear this word consider, the phrase meditate. And they would understand what he's calling them to do. The writer of Hebrews is calling them to stop and to consider, to think, to meditate, to focus your mind on Jesus Christ. Beloved, that is going to, if you learn one lesson in church, <laughs> apart from Jesus loves me, this I know, for because the Bible tells me so, <laughs> this is one that it behooves you to learn. That when you are struggling, when you are sorrowing, when you are in difficulty, when you are experiencing turmoil and struggle either internally or externally or perhaps even both, to stop and consider Jesus. To take your mind off of the circumstances and the situation that you're in and think about Him. There's a reason why we have Four gospel accounts. It's because it's 
God is communicating to us through the inspiration of the canon of Scripture that he is very important. We don't have three Isaiahs. We don't have five Daniels. And we don't, you see what I mean? We have four Gospels. And the reason is, is it tells us that this Jesus is worth considering and worth thinking about from all kinds of different angles and perspectives, from all kinds of different worldviews and outlooks. There is no person who can go away from the Gospels reading them being the same. They will be changed. They might be hardened a little bit harder, or they might be softened and they might be experiencing the rebuke from the Lord and receive it. They might be experiencing grace and their faith being strengthened. But one thing is for sure is the gospels and Jesus Christ is what we need all the time. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Consider him. Meditate on him. Think on him. Believer, let me ask you, when was the last time you honestly just sat and thought about Jesus for any length of time? I don't say that as a rebuke, necessarily, unless you need a rebuke. I say that, though, to bring attention to the fact that This is something that will not happen on its own, right? We still have the fallen part of us that remains, even though our spirits and souls have been born again. And that part of us that has not been yet redeemed will always go to the path of least resistance, right? And that path is going to be whatever is the easiest. And it takes work to think about Jesus, Think of all of the work we put into so many other things we do in life. The focused attention, the thought patterns, the putting up of all kinds of things and apps on our phones to remind us of this and that, to consider all of these other things. And how frequently do we use those accessories to life to help us focus on Jesus and consider him? He tells us here we need to consider Jesus. We need to think on him and think on him regularly. Now in this context for the Hebrews, he's bringing up this point because he wants the Hebrews to remember and to understand that Christ endured hostility more than they could even fathom more than they have endured more than they have gone through at this particular point. Now, we can certainly consider Jesus in that category as well. But frankly, I think probably that for us, although it might help us in a time to think about his sufferings, we should think about other things as well. Because let's face it, we're not enduring persecution right now. You might get, you know, I don't know how it's going to be in Chile. I don't know how it's going to be there. I, I don't regularly... Worry as I go to work or go around Chico that I'm going to be arrested and thrown into prison for my belief in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So we consider him because we have areas that the Lord does need to discipline us and will discipline us in. 
But there are certain things that Christ has endured and Christ has gone through and Christ has said and Christ has practiced out that will motivate you in whatever particular area that you need to be strengthened in, to grow in, to be rebuked in, whatever it is. Christ is your all-sufficient Savior. Remember back in chapter 4, we read this beautiful text. And I think I mentioned it at the time that it was one of the very first scripture texts I memorized. It says, we have a high priest. One who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Christ is able to sympathize, to understand, and to meet every single need of every single trial that every single one of us will ever go through. So this message to consider Jesus is always going to be the answer. Counseling people can be frustrating. I'll admit it as a pastor. (laughs) Because really, to be fair, if I'm biblical, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. And that can be frustrating both for me and the person who needs the counsel. Because I am going to sit and I'm going to listen and I'm going to sympathize and empathize. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, I'm always going to tell you Jesus is the answer. So if you're thinking about scheduling one with me, you can tick that box. Because that's the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Now, it's going to be specific, and I'm going to take you to specific texts and specific verses, but the fact is, is I am negligent in my ministry if I don't immediately point you to him, point you to Christ, point you to Jesus, look to him, look to Jesus. That's my job. My job is to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said as much in the book of 1 Corinthians. But that's it. So he is, is a good preacher, a good pastor. Whoever this guy is or woman, I don't know, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is good. They're doing their job. Consider him. Look to Jesus. And then he gives it context. He gives it flesh. He says, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. He knew exactly their struggle. They were growing weary and becoming faint-hearted. An endurance run will do that to you. Now, the further, when I was running a while ago, many years ago, but you can still go back and look on Facebook and see me in my running days. Maybe I should pick it up again. The furthest I ever ran was 14 miles. And it was long. I ran all the way from my old house, all the way up through Bidwell Park, all the way up into Upper Park, and then all the way back and then all the way home. 
And it was long. And I remember there about, oh, four or five miles into it, thinking, oh, I just need to stop and turn around right now. And there was something in me at that moment that wanted to push myself, that wanted to go further, that just said, keep putting one foot in front of another and keep going. And I did, and it was hard. It's easy to grow weary. It's easy to grow faint-hearted. It's easy to look around and, and to just be discouraged by so many things in, in life. Just, you know, scrolling through Facebook here earlier today, I'm noticing so many people talking about 2018 and just how awful of a year it was. People are weary and, and faint-hearted because of politics, because of <clears throat> financial situations, because of the culture at large, because of all kinds of things. You might be weary and faint-hearted. Let's be honest. Going to church just every single Sunday, being a Christian in this life can become wearying. Because it isn't just a, a big party all the time. The party is in heaven. But now it's endurance run. And we keep on keeping on because it's worth it. And why is it worth it? Because Jesus endured. And if he endured and he went all the way through. And remember, it was not easy for him. He begged the Lord that if there was any other way, Father, for me to redeem humanity, then let's do that other way. Let this cut pass from me. But of course, we know he went on and did it. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. That, if I'm a Hebrew believer and I'm listening to this sermon being preached, and we get to this point and the preacher (coughs) or the reader reads to this, For me, personally, this is where I'm convicted. There are very few things in life that I have gone to the point of bloodshed. Now, I've done certain things and broken bones and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But never struggling against sin. When it comes to the struggle of sin, we all give in far too easily. It's easy to get weary and faint-hearted in this struggle against sin. None of us have resisted to the point of shedding of blood, and that's what Christ did for us. His blood was shed so that our blood might not have to be shed for our sin. You see, this is where the understanding of grace should come in for the church. Because none of us here have, we all have different struggles. We all have different sins that we endure in different points and different times in our life. We're all aware of that. None of us have resisted to the point of death against that particular sin. So therefore, we should be sympathetic and understanding and gracious with one another when we do see somebody else going through it. 
Discipline's important, but it comes at the hands of the Lord, and it can come through the hands of the church. We'll, we'll get there. Maybe not tonight, but we'll get there, Lord willing, maybe soon. But in our struggle against sin, <clears throat> it's important to remember that as we go on, we have a group of people around us who are going through similar things themselves. And we should be very gracious and understanding with each other. All of us pointing each other to Christ. We're all looking to Christ. We're all saved by grace through faith. All of us have been born again purely by his spirit, purely by his grace, purely for his glory. It's all for him. And that goes for all of us. It goes with the biggest hoity-toity pastor that there is around to the newest, brand newest Christian who is just super raw and still is living in all kinds of sins, just having been saved by the skin of their teeth. But one exhortation we should not forget. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. This is from the Proverbs. And it's important for us to be reminded of this. Now, here, it's because we go through books of the Bible, consist just verse by verse going through books of the Bible. In other places, you probably would be hard-pressed to hear a sermon on discipline and the discipline that comes from the Lord. It, believe me, it's not fun to preach. And believe me, it's not fun to hear. But a lot of times the hard medicine is what we need. And the hard word is what we need. And he's giving them the hard word. He understands the entire book that he's just given to them, written, preached to them, has been a very hard word. You guys are floundering. You guys are abandoning Christ. You guys are turning your backs on the very thing, the very person who saved you from your sins. You're leaving the greatest and best of all beings to go and play in a puddle. To go and dink around in the dirt. What are you doing? You're leaving salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone to go back to a sacrificial system of rituals and works? What are you doing? And so as he's giving them this hard message, he understands how hard it must be for them to hear. And so he's reminding them, this is all because you're loved. It's all because God loves you that he's disciplining you like this. If he didn't love you, there'd be no, you'd just go out and live your life and live it in sin. Live it up. But he wants holiness for his children and for his people. So he tells us, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't become weary when reproved. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, sometimes I, I understand what he's saying here. <clears throat> sometimes it's easy to become weary 
with the discipline that you're going through, as well as with the race that you're trying to run. But the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. I've disciplined my kids. Right, kids? (laughs) I've disciplined my kids. It's because I love them. Because I want them to grow up in a certain way. I want them to behave in a certain manner. I want them to be as much like Christ as they can be. Someday I'm going to, you know, I'll take my hands off them and they'll be off on their own and hopefully I will have done a good part in raising them so that they see and they love the Lord Jesus Christ more than they love and they see the things of this world. That's what God's doing with each and every one of us. He wants you to love his things, his way, more than you love the things of the world, more than you love even yourself. And he loves you too much to leave you loving yourself and loving, you, loving the things of the world. Do you hear his conviction regularly, routinely? I pray that you do, honestly. That is a prayer that I pray oftentimes when I'm thinking of the members of the church, that you would hear the discipline of the Lord, that you would hear his rebuke, that you would hear his correction. That you would feel that conviction that the Holy Spirit brings upon you and you would respond positively to it rather than hardening your heart against it. Because it's a manifestation of God's love. If you have not heard the conviction of the Lord lately, then perhaps it's because that you have a hardened heart and over time you have spurned his pleas his leadings, his guidings, his drawings, his wooings. And it's time to turn back to the Lord and to receive his discipline. Verse 7 says, For discipline that you have to, it is for discipline that you have to endure. And so God is treating you as sons. Now I read Psalm 39 for our call to worship. And if you were just listening to it and you didn't have the context of where we were at in Hebrews, it it could be a little struggle, a bit of a struggle going, why are we reading this one? (laughs) This is one of the downers. (laughs) This is not, you know, positive and encouraging. This is a guy who is struggling and he stops talking because he doesn't want to say the wrong thing. And then in the middle of other people, he just starts spurting out things. And he realizes that the Lord has been rebuking him through this whole process. And he begs and he asks the Lord to hear his cry, listen to his tears, and may he be one who counts his days. Lord, teach me the number of my days because it's like a vapor. My life is just like a hand breath in the midst of history. It's there and it's gone. We need a healthy awakening, if you will, routinely that our lives are short, really, really short. The older I get, the more I see that. 
man, when I was 19, 20, 21, 22, I thought, I got to to live forever. And I really did think, it's probably going to live till Jesus comes. (laughs) The older and older I get, though, the more I realize that, you know what? I'm probably going to go before the Lord comes. I don't know. He might come right now. He didn't, but he could have right there. But I probably will go before the Lord comes. And I will be called into heaven the normal way (laughs) that people are called. Not the unique one-time way when he catches up people in the air. But the point of what I'm trying to say is that it's good for us to, as we consider Jesus, (coughs) to consider our own mortality our own life. In fact, that's why we consider Jesus is because our lives are short. Our lives are but a vapor. As far as discipline goes and us considering Jesus, when we are disciplined, when we have conviction, when we are rebuked by God for the things we are doing that God calls us not to do, know that God is treating you as one of his children. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be in subject to the father of spirits and live? For they... For a short time, as it seemed best to them, disciplined us. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. There's the reason why we endure it, for his holiness. So, you've had earthly fathers who discipline you. Mine did. I remember many times where I got in trouble with my dad and I was disciplined and I was punished. And at the time, of course, it felt horrible and awful. Come here. Got away. At the time, it felt horrible and awful. But just like I pick up Charlotte here and hold her in my hands... And every once in a while, I have to discipline her for something she does when she gets a little squirrely. The truth is, I do it because I love her. I love her so much. And God loves us. And when we have been disciplined by his hand, when I feel that conviction, when you feel that conviction that comes from the Lord, it's wise and it's good for you to receive that, to pray And to repent from that sin. And repent simply means acknowledging that what God said was right, what I did was wrong, and I want to go the other direction. Well, if we listened to our earthly fathers, and eventually we do when we're disciplined by them, how much more should we listen to the Father of Spirits and live? Verse 11, and we'll close. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
It never is pleasant when we endure discipline. It hurts and it's scary and there's fear involved. But afterwards it yields what here is called the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That peaceable fruit. So when we discipline our kids and we have been disciplined by our parents, the goal is to raise mature adults. People who are mature in life, people who can um, handle the pressures and the difficulties that come with living in this world, who can act in a responsible manner, who can act in a way that benefits both themselves, their family, and the community. When Christ disciplines us, when God disciplines us, his intention is to give us holiness, that it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, that it will bring peace to our souls. The reason why it's difficult when we feel that conviction from the Lord is because we're not at peace. We're not at peace with God and we know it. He is not at peace with us and we know it. We're not at peace to the people around us whom our sin is affecting. And so therefore he brings the rebuke and the correction so that we might repent and be ones who are producing this peaceable fruit of righteousness. We grow in righteousness and we grow in peace with God and we grow in peace with our fellow man. It's a good and a right thing. Ease is not. (laughs) As much as it is welcomed sometimes, the truth of the matter is life is not supposed to be one of just pure ease and and effort-free existence, but it's to be one that is an endurance run. We run and we run and we run and we run. And sometimes we stumble, Sometimes we fall, but we, with the Lord's leading and guiding and instructing, get back up and keep on keeping on for Jesus. It's the reason why I pray every single time when we preach a sermon here or I try to do anything anywhere that we would leave here knowing Jesus better and loving him more than we did when we came in. Because the prayer is is that we would experience this Discipline that the Lord brings and that we would grow by it and we would experience this peaceable fruit of righteousness because that's what being more Christ-like is. Pray with me. Lord, Ma, we love you and thank you that you have been so good and gracious to us that you have given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. We ask, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, convict us where in the areas where we are sinning so that we might strive to have your strength given to us, Lord, that we might grow thereby, that we might grow more and more and more into those people who you have called us to be, those who yield this peaceable fruit of righteousness. Lord, it's so true. No discipline seems pleasant in the moment, but Lord, it's what we need. 
So as we leave here tonight, Lord, I pray that we would be mindful that we need to begin to consider you more and more. That we need to give you the glory and honor that is due your name, but also think your thoughts after you. Lay on our hearts passages of scripture that we might read and study and think and contemplate so that we might, Lord, consider you who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted in our walk with you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.